Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, June 29th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, a scary situation for our girl Madonna the last few days. Well, that's right. We found out on Wednesday that she'd been in the ICU. Jill, I think I speak for uh, most people in 2023 that I don't think we were ready to lose Madonna. And thankfully, it will tell you more about her situation uh, later in the podcast. Yes, luckily, she is doing okay. All right, let's get to the headlines. One week after the Titan submersible was found on the bottom of the ocean, the Coast Guard has started to recover pieces and found what they think are human remains. Millions of Americans are dealing with either brutal heat or dangerous smoky air. And in a few places, unfortunately, Jill, both. End of the world stuff. (laughs) Overseas, Vladimir Putin makes a surprise public appearance in Moscow days after that military uprising as Russia launches a missile strike that killed nearly a dozen people at a popular pizza place in Ukraine. A new survey found that more than 50% of Americans report facing online harassment and hate. And just as we're learning that more women are back in the workforce, some new research finds that ageism is a problem when it comes to women in leadership. And it's happening at every age and every stage of a woman's career. Plus, Simone Biles is back, making a return to gymnastics for the first time since the Tokyo Games. And as we mentioned a bit earlier, Madonna was in the ICU over the weekend. She's okay, but she'll have to postpone her upcoming tour. Plus, Moshe is on this day in history. Jill, a big birthday for one of our favorite Nelly hits, Hot in Here, which is taking on new meaning this week in certain parts of the country. Quite appropriate. Okay, let's start, though, with some breaking news on Wednesday night. The U.S. Coast Guard says that presumed human remains have been recovered from the wreckage of the Titan submersible. Earlier in the day, they brought in debris from the vessel. As we've reported, officials have said that the five passengers on board the Titan died when that submersible suffered a catastrophic implosion while trying to view wreckage from the Titanic. The Coast Guard now says medical professionals will be conducting a formal analysis of the remains. The man leading the investigation, Captain Jason Neubauer, uh, said, quote, the evidence will provide investigators from several international jurisdictions with critical insights into the cause of this tragedy. There is still a substantial amount of work to do to understand the factors that led to the catastrophic loss of the Titan. Their goal here with this investigation, Jill, I've been asked about this on the Instagram feed, is to figure out what happened down there. So there are insights uh, and uh, corrections that future adventurers can make. And as you mentioned, the uh, finding of the human remains here comes as they did recover several pieces, some large pieces of the sub. We posted those pictures uh, on the Instagram feed on Wednesday. That'll be part of the investigation. uh, See if they find evidence on those pieces as to what exactly took place. They also think, Jill, there might have been a recorder aboard. uh, And so they're going to see what they can glean from the computers that have been recovered. Among the organizations involved in the investigation is the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Uh, The person who leads that, Carl Hartsfeld, you might recognize him from the press conferences last week, says that any deep sea vehicle does record data. They pass up data. So the question is, will they be able to find some data from the submersible uh, to get a sense of what happened? All right, now to the weather across the country. Tens of millions of Americans are either dealing with excessive heat or bad air quality, or both. The record-breaking heat wave that is scorching the south-central U.S. continues. 
now claiming at least 14 lives. That heat wave, by the way, is now in its third week. On Wednesday, triple-digit temperatures spread from New Mexico to Mississippi. The National Weather Service says the heat index, which is how hot it feels, will be in the 110 to 120 degree range across eastern Texas and throughout that area. Now, as of midday Wednesday, more than 87 million Americans were under some level of heat alert. One of the issues with this heat wave is that nighttime temperatures are staying really high. The National Weather Service says that there may be more danger than a typical heat event because of the longevity of near record or record high nighttime lows and elevated heat index readings. Basically, what that means is that these overnight temperatures not cooling down enough to give people a little bit of a break from that oppressive heat. And that's especially a problem for people who don't have air conditioning. According to CNN, scientists say that those hotter nights are a consequence of climate change. The 2018 National Climate Assessment found that on average, Nights are actually warming faster than days in most of the United States. Jill, you mentioned that it's a problem for people without AC. Even people with AC are messaging in saying even by pumping air conditioning all day, they can. some of them can only still get their homes into the mid-80s, low-80s uh, because of just how oppressive this heat is. That's how hot it is. Uh, we mentioned, and this continues to be the case, Texans, you, the Sahara Desert and parts of the Persian Gulf, are the hottest places on Earth right now hotter than 99% of the planet. And as we talk about the heat here, and you mentioned some of the deaths, unfortunately, Jill, we should mention that about 700 heat-related deaths happen every year in the U.S. That makes heat deadlier than any other weather event. Uh, More people die of heat than tornadoes, hurricanes, floods in the U.S. every year. Now, with that heat, with that AC pumping, power use in Texas has also hit an all-time high. ERCOT, which handles about 90% of the state's power, says, though, it does have enough resources to meet current demand. And that comes just a couple years after that major event in February 2021, when they had the opposite problem, a deadly storm and extreme cold, and people were trying to pump the heat during that time. That's when the power grid collapsed. Again, they believe they have enough here to uh, hold on this time. One of the big differences, renewable power, according to Bloomberg, green power sources contributed about a third to the total Texas output. That includes solar and uh, wind. And so that's helping uh, people keep these ACs cranking uh, as they try to wait out this heat wave. Okay, now to the smoke that is choking a big part of the country, the upper Midwest from Chicago to Detroit to Pittsburgh bore the brunt of the Canadian wildfire smoke on Wednesday. Nearly 100 million Americans or one out of three people in the country across 17 states experiencing air quality alerts. The EPA's airnow.gov site showed that Detroit was in the hazardous range, which means that Everyone, regardless of their health, should stay indoors and reduce their activity levels. Now the smoke is heading east. In New York, Governor Hochul said air quality health advisories were in effect for the entire state. She said the air quality is deteriorating very quickly as a result of those Canadian wildfires. And she also talked about just how unprecedented this is. Unprecedented, Moshe, our favorite word of the podcast. She said, certainly we did not deal with this in the years past. We are truly the first generation to feel the real effects of climate change. And Moshe, this is just as kids are starting camp where they are usually outside for hours each day. Again, this is all unprecedented as parents and counselors try to figure out how they're going to keep kids safe this summer. Certainly that's what a lot of people 
in my circle have been talking about for the last couple of days. Uh, and people with other health issues, women who are pregnant, elderly, um, also just need to be really careful. And these fires show no signs of letting up. I mean, more than 200 of them are deemed out of control right now, Jill. So this is something we could intermittently face uh, for the next few months here. And of course, it's not just the U.S. Many folks in Canada are experiencing the effects up close of these wildfires, air quality issues in the Northwest Territories, and every province outside of Atlantic Canada, including huge swaths of both Ontario and Quebec. Toronto recorded one of the worst air quality rankings in the world yesterday and has moved many activities inside, while the Toronto Jazz Festival has postponed all of its outdoor activities. And we actually got a photo, Jill, from Portugal, where uh, some Americans, Mo News community members are uh, tourists right now. And the smoke particles have started to reach Portugal and France all the way across the Atlantic. They're not as dangerous as what U.S. cities have experienced, but still they're visible there. And back to those wildfires across Canada, I mentioned more than 200 out of control. There's 500 total. Uh, got a number of people on Instagram asking, you know, what's the deal with the fires? Why are they so bad this year? And just to, you know, repeat what we've been covering here, it was one of the driest springs in history that has led to drought uh, conditions in uh, many parts of Canada. You've also had the extreme heat. And now the jet stream is weaker with a warmer Arctic. So as the Arctic gets warmer, as the you know Earth changes and warms here, that has allowed hot, drier systems to stall and build heat over Canada in areas they didn't used to do that when the jet stream was stronger. Dry heat, dry hot weather breeds more lightning. Lightning has been deemed to cause half of the fires in Canada. They actually account for 85% of the destruction right now, according to Canadian authorities. By the way, half the fires by lightning. Half the fires are caused by humans in terms of accidents, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, just a little background there on why this year is different from others. All right, time now for the speed read from the New York Times. Just days after the Wagner military uprising in Russia, President Vladimir Putin putting on a show of public support and unity. He made a rare public appearance to greet his supporters. The Kremlin putting out a new video of Putin being swarmed by crowds in southern Russia. Jill, very notable because it comes just a few days after uh, Prigozhin and the Wagner troops were swarmed by crowds in southern Russia. So clearly, you know, Putin as a dictator doesn't need to glad hand with people. He's not running for election or any sort of election where he you know, needs to ensure that he wins over the vote because the vote is assured in his hands, but definitely making a point of saying the people are with me. Now, it comes after a New York Times report that a senior Russian general had advanced knowledge of the mutiny, and that raises the possibility that the uprising potentially had support from inside the top ranks of the Russian military. A Kremlin spokesperson, of course, calling that gossip and speculation. They would, Jill. They would call that. <laughs> They would call that. If I was a Kremlin spokesman, I would also say that. Meanwhile, though, the head of the Wagner mercenary group, Prigozhin, he did arrive in Belarus as part of that agreement with Putin. And the Belarus president, Lukashenko, he said Putin had thought about killing Prigozhin, but it was he, Lukashenko, who talked him out of doing that. Lukashenko, uh, the dictator of Belarus, really making a point uh, these last couple of days of trying to showcases authority and his influence, especially since he's effectively called Putin's lapdog uh, in Belarus. But he's made a point in the last few days to be like, look, look what Lukashenko can do. He better watch out. <laughs> well, Lukashenko, I think, is OK. Prigozhin 
is the one who needs to watch out because Lukashenko's like, you know, I convinced Putin not to kill Prigozhin. You're like, yeah, for now, man, for now. Putin doesn't let these things go easily. Uh, it's something we talked about on our uh, special podcast with Ian Bremer a couple days ago, if you, if you guys find that in the queue. Jill, the Russian general you were talking about earlier that the Times reports on that might have had advanced knowledge here is a guy by the name of Sergei Sorovkin. And he is a very respected Russian military leader who was dealing with their defense against the Ukrainian counteroffensive. He was replaced as a top commander back in January, but has retained influence here. And so American officials tell the New York Times that there are signs that both Sorovkin and other Russian generals may have supported Prigozhin's attempt to change the leadership of the defense ministry by force. Uh, notably, many people are asking, like, why was Prigozhin able to get so close to Moscow? Why did he face so little in the way of defense? And this would help explain it, right? If there were top officials in the Russian military, they were kind of like, yeah, let's see how far Prigozhin gets and make some change here. That said, Jill, at the same time, you know, an American official telling the New York Times that a bunch of generals are not loyal to Putin could certainly be uh, a tactic to try to raise Putin's paranoia. So keep in mind as you're reading these leaked stories uh, and all of you out there listening to, you know, various accounts, there's a lot of agendas out there. So, you know, American officials saying, hey, Putin, your generals aren't loyal to you, certainly would uh, help America, you know, create chaos inside the Kremlin. As for what all of this means for the war in Ukraine, Russia shows no signs of letting up despite what happened over the weekend. They launched a missile strike that hit a popular pizza restaurant in eastern Ukraine. At least 11 people were killed, including three teenagers, 61 others injured. And so this strike, among others, indicate the Kremlin is not easing its aerial onslaught at all. And it does come as the Pentagon this week has confirmed it's going to send another $500 million in weapons to Ukraine, including Bradley and Stryker armored vehicles, as well as equipment for clearing minefields, which is their big concern right now that the Russians have been prepping for this counteroffensive and uh, dropped mines across eastern Ukraine. From the Hill, more than half of American respondents said in a new survey that they have faced online harassment and hate. The Anti-Defamation League's 2023 research showed a significant increase from the 40% recorded in the last year's report. The ADL also found that reports increased across all demographics, but especially those in the LGBTQ community, particularly transgender people. More than three quarters of transgender people said they've been harassed online, with 60% saying that they were harassed severely also notable here, 51% of teenagers say that they experienced some form of harassment in the last 12 months. 38% of Black people and 38% of Muslims also reported that they were harassed online in the last 12 months. And 80% of Jewish people reported that they were worried about being harassed for their religion. That is a stark difference from the 40% of non-Jewish people who reported the same answer. Yeah, and apparently, according to the report, this cuts across uh, a lot of social media platforms, whether they be Twitter, Facebook, um, all of the above are noted in this report. Jill, as we talk about all that, there's a Supreme Court decision that came out this week that is getting some attention on a sort of related front here. On Tuesday, the court wiped away a lower court decision that upheld a stalking conviction for a Colorado man who had sent hundreds of messages to a woman over Facebook. And so this Supreme Court decision was a seven to two decision. And the justices said the lower courts had used the wrong standard in convicting the man and sent the case back down 
with a new test to apply to this case. So this was called a case over true threats. Uh, true threats are things that uh, defy your First Amendment right for freedom of speech. And the majority here, this is liberals and most conservatives, takes free speech very seriously. And they overturn this saying that the threats that this man had sent to uh, a woman were not true threats. They stated that states must prove that a criminal defendant has acted recklessly, meaning that he disregarded a substantial risk that his communications could be viewed as threatening violence and knew his words could be viewed as a threat. So let's back up here. This case concerned a Colorado law used to convict a man of stalking and causing emotional distress to Coles Whalen. That's a singer-songwriter he had never met. The court said that this man who had sent the messages needed to know his comments could be viewed as threats or otherwise is protected by the First Amendment. By the way, among the things he sent the singer-songwriter, he sent messages like, I'm currently unsupervised. I know it freaks me out, but the possibilities are endless. Another one, much more bluntly read, die, don't need you. Despite those messages, the majority here, again, all the liberals, the three liberals, plus four conservatives, said they don't want to put a chilling effect on free speech. And so uh, effectively, they said that is not a true threat. He did not know the impact of those words. And so throughout the conviction here, notably, Jill, the two dissenters out of the seven to vote there, Clarence Thomas and Amy Coney Barrett, who said these did constitute threats. So found the split there interesting and the you know larger debate about not hindering free speech and what is deemed threats uh, certainly relevant to the larger conversation we're having. The court's move here did worry those working to combat stalking in the age of social media, where the internet has allowed for more harassment. They fear that the court raising the bar here for the government to be able to prove true threat will make things more difficult for those experiencing harassment. And a reminder, we are expecting um, some very big Supreme Court decisions today and possibly tomorrow related to everything from affirmative action um, to President Biden's student loan program. From Axios, it does not matter if a woman is young or old or somewhere in between. Any age can be viewed as the wrong one for women leaders. This is according to three researchers in a new article in the Harvard Business Review. This kind of double whammy age gender bias holds women back from promotions and consequently leadership roles. Age was one of the biggest issues for women across generations. So under the age of 40, women say they were patronized, patted on the head, called kiddo, according to researchers. They also faced a credibility deficit where they're not believed or taken seriously. All right, so those are the youngest workers. Then between the ages of 40 and 60, some women are judged to have too many family responsibilities or were passed over for promotions because of, quote, menopause concerns or because, quote, they don't look vital. That was just Don Lemon. (laughs) And then past 60, women are seen as outdated with their voices discounted and ignored. One woman telling researchers, first, we're too young to be responsible or to supervise. This lasts into our mid to late 30s, but does not for men. And then in an instant, we're too old to be hired for anything or anywhere new. Yeah, this report basically says you can't win at any age, Jill. Uh, It's part of a larger survey of U.S. women leaders across four industries that found that across a range of traits, women are often viewed as never quite right. In a separate article in Fast Company, the researchers wrote, the women were too short or too tall, too pretty or too unattractive or too heavy. They had too much education or not enough education. Again, 
You just can't win. Women lost out on leadership roles because they were either single, married, or divorced. They write further here, there was no personality trait sweet spot as introverted women were not seen as leaders and extroverted women were viewed as too aggressive. Jill, I'm going to link to our podcast that we did late last year with Julia Borston of CNBC. She has done a lot of research into this and wrote a new book called When Women Lead about how companies are actually better off when women are in charge and actually do much better in crisis situations. We'll include that link. I think it's an important listen. If uh, you work in a company, if you run a company, if you're a leadership role in any way, shape, or form. Though, Jill, we should note, we mentioned this on the podcast earlier this year, that despite all of that, this year for the first time, uh, more than 50 of the Fortune 500 companies were led by women. Again, only 10%, just over 10% there. But that was a record for that list. So, it seems like, you know, two steps forward, one step back here. Jill, in all your time working in, in local news and national news, um, anything from that Harvard Business Review study resonate with you and your experience? So I think that for me, um, <clears throat> well, what struck me when reading through a lot of that research is that I am now middle age. At least that is what I'm considered in oh, terms of. Oh, no. But even you saying that, it means that yeah. there is some sort of negative connotation with that. And there shouldn't be. And, and I do feel um, as somebody who I'm 43 years old, and I'm proud of it. Um, I've done a lot professionally and personally. But on a personal level, I do feel the sense of, of time running out professionally for me, like, because of just that idea that am I now in middle age, and I don't think that men would feel that way at 43. Jill, I think the study brings up a lot of important issues in the workplace. Uh, and frankly, I, you know, I think we're going to post a bit of this on Instagram and try to open up a conversation about this. Cause I think, um, I, I, again, it struck me also as a, as a man who's been in the workplace to see kind of how they characterize like women in their twenties and thirties, women in their forties and fifties, women over the age of 60, um, you know, never, there was no sweet spot according to these researchers. And, you know, that men clearly in the workplace are always finding a reason uh, to you know, have some sort of bias against them. Though I will note also that Julia Borson podcast, she talks about how some women in leadership um, are some of the reason for these issues as well, you know, preventing other women from coming up. So it's a fascinating, very complicated issue. Uh, and you know, based on some of the numbers, it appears to be slightly getting better, but clearly based on this Harvard Business Review, still a lot of work to do. When we talk about representation, I do get inspired a bit when I see somebody like Martha Stewart still reinventing herself so late in her career. And I think Julia Child was another person who like very late, like got, she didn't become Julia Child and she was very much later I don't even think she started taking cooking lessons until she was in her 40s. But you and I have joked, I think on this very podcast, those Forbes lists come out where they're like, top 30 under 30. And I'm, I, I literally yeah. am like, Oh, you know, or top 40 under 40. And not <laughs> that I would think I would be on those lists, but it's like, obviously age is a big deal. You've advocated for the 40 over I, 40. Yes. List. Um, yes. <laughs> I think yes. there should be a 40 over make it I 50 over 50. I, I let's keep pushing it. it. It speaks to a huge issue. The celebration of youth the obsession with youth and certainly impacts a, a lot of things in our lives. But in this case, it's like, well, even at a certain age, like then women are deemed too old for the workforce. Anyway, we, we go on here. We'll continue this conversation over on the Mo News Instagram page.
I will say one other thing. And I think a lot of women will probably relate to this. I'm a bit older than a lot of the moms. I had, I got married late and I had children late. And I meet a lot of moms. And when I tell them how old I am, their reaction is usually something like, you don't look 43. And I know that that's supposed to be a compliment, but it's also like, what is a 43-year-old supposed to look like? What are you expecting <laughs> from me? Like, <laughs> anyway, it, it's a great conversation. And I think it's important that we are having it uh, on this podcast. And like you said, on your Instagram account. And I'd love to hear what other women think. And men. Speaking of women from Yahoo Entertainment, as we were mentioning earlier, a major health scare for Madonna. The singer was hospitalized this weekend for a serious bacterial infection, and she'll be forced to postpone her upcoming celebration tour. Her manager released a statement Wednesday saying on Saturday, Madonna developed a serious bacterial infection, which led to a several day stay in the ICU. Her health is improving. However, she is still under medical care. A full recovery is expected. People magazine reports she is now out of the ICU. The manager continues that at this time we'll need to pause all commitments, which includes the tour. We'll share more details with you as soon as we have them, including a new start date for the tour and for rescheduled shows. Mosh, several days in the ICU is quite serious. Yeah, and the New York Post reports, Jill, that Madonna was found unresponsive on Saturday and rushed to the hospital in New York City. She was reportedly intubated for at least one night before having the tube removed, though she, again, is now alert and recovering. Madonna's tour honors the 40th anniversary of her legendary career. It was scheduled to begin next month in Vancouver. She was then set to perform her greatest hits at 35 cities across North America and Europe. Again, postponed right now. Jill, this is just the latest issue for Madonna, who is 64 years old. Her last major one was back in 2020. That's when she underwent hip replacement surgery 11 months after an injury she suffered on a previous tour that forced her to cancel other shows. All right, from ESPN, Simone Biles is back. The gymnastics superstar plans to return to competition at the U.S. Classic outside Chicago in early August. It's her first event since the Tokyo Summer Olympics. USA Gymnastics announced Wednesday that Biles, a seven-time Olympic medalist and the 2016 Olympic champion, is part of the women's field for the single-day event set for August 5th. Biles has taken most of the last two years off following the Tokyo Games, you might remember at the time she had taken herself out of competition for the all-around vault and floor exercise finals that she had qualified for, and that was because she was dealing with what's known as the twisties. It's a gymnastics term for when an athlete loses their spatial awareness when airborne. Now, she returned for the balance beam final. She won a bronze medal and tied Shannon Miller's record for the most Olympic medals by an American female gymnast. But her decision to remove herself from multiple events to focus on her mental health really shifted the focus from the games themselves to the overall wellness of the athletes. It started an important conversation. The past two years have been a whirlwind of her, of sorts. Jill, she headlined her post-Olympic tour in 2021, uh, married uh, NFL player Jonathan Owens this spring. And at 26 now, she has become one of the most vocal advocates for athletes finding space to protect their mental health. All right, Jill, now time for On This Day. We begin in the 16th century in the year 1534. French navigator Jacques Cartier came upon Prince Edward Island off the coast of what is now Canada, discovering it for the French. Of course, natives had lived in Canada for thousands of years. The Vikings had been there. But Cartier is notable because he named Canada. 
It was based on a native Iroquois word for settlement. And so you can thank Jacques Cartier for Canada. Most your pronunciations continue to impress me. Jill, you were this old when you heard me pronounce arrondissement <laughs> <Yes>. last week. <laughs> that was the one that really got me. Let's fast forward here a couple hundred years. President Eisenhower on this day signed the Federal Aid Highway Act that created the U.S. interstate system and gave rise to the suburbs. Suburban moms everywhere. Thank you. All right. Let's fast forward to this millennia, 2007. On this day, 16 years ago, Apple launched the iPhone. You might remember this event. Its starting price, $499. It broke with prevailing mobile phones. I mean, this was a revolution. And some of of us were not ready for it. I remember I was one of the BlackBerry users at the time. And I was like, what's with this phone without a keyboard? That's going to be a little weird. Um, Jill, this gives me an excuse to play one of my favorite CEO clips of all time. This is Microsoft's Steve Ballmer being asked in an interview his reaction to this iPhone. $500 fully subsidized with a plan? I said, that is the most expensive phone in the world, and it doesn't appeal to business customers because it doesn't have a keyboard, which makes it not a very good email machine. Right now, we're selling millions and millions and millions of phones a year. Apple is selling zero phones a year. In six months, they'll have the most expensive phone by far ever in the marketplace. And let's see, you know, what's the expression? Let's see how the competition goes. Jill, again, that was the reaction of Steve Ballmer of Microsoft at the time on this iPhone that had just come out. Proving also that you will take any opportunity to, to run that clip. I feel like you love it. And I understand why. I love it so much. But I also love Steve Ballmer clips. If anyone's familiar with him, he's the owner of the Clippers now. He's a billionaire. Listen, despite that, Microsoft did very well for itself. Uh, Steve Ballmer did very well for himself. But he's a very kind of larger than life character. And you can hear it there in that clip. And finally today marks the 21st birthday, Jill, of Hot in Here by Nelly. It reached number one on the Billboard charts on this day in 2002. It topped the charts for three months in the summer of 2002 from late June through late September. I think all of us now uh, remember that summer. You couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't walk down the street without hearing, it's getting hot in here, hot in in here. (laughs) And finally, Jill, before we go, my favorite story of the day, uh, real briefly, you might have seen on the Instagram account, in Korea today, everyone's age changed. This is a unique story we brought you a few months ago, but officially it happened yesterday. Korea has three different age systems. Now, all of us, typically in the West and in most of the world, when we're born, we're effectively deemed zero, and we turn one 365 days later. In Korea, until yesterday, you were one when you came out and then would age a year in January. So conceivably, if you were born in December, an infant in America that's one month old would be two years old because born at one year and then two. It was, needless to say, Jill, a very confusing (laughs) system. And I'll add to that, Korea has a third age system they use for buying alcohol and other things where everyone turns a year older on January 1st. So conceivably in Korea, you could be 31 according to the West, 32 according to the annual uh, raise in January, and 33 based on the when you were born in the year. So Korea started to simplify it, and they've gone to the international dating system. So now everyone in Korea is zero upon being born. 
but they're still keeping the second system where you turn an extra year on January 1st for buying alcohol and other things. So in Korea, you might be down to two ages instead of one. The best story of the day. Okay, that makes my head hurt. On this day in history, everyone in Korea's age changed. It's something we will mark every June 29th going forward. How do I get to be 39 again? Where? What country? Where is that possible? The reversal? Well, in Korea, no. In Korea, you would have been 45 turning yeah, to exactly. today. Um, I don't know which country that is. You'd have to, I feel like one of the other planets in the solar system that has a, a longer year uh, would be the place to go. So farther out in the solar system, where the you know years are longer. Mosh, I kid, I'm embracing my age for real. As you should, Jill. <laughs> All right. Um, that is a wrap. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. If you leave us a review in the App Store, we will refer to you by whatever age you wish. Um, and the reviews are important. Uh, the follows are important on the podcast. Also, check out Mo News Premium. It's a way to support this account, support what we're doing, uh, help us grow. Also, access to a members-only podcast, members-only Instagram account. Uh, so check that out over at mo.news slash premium. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.